The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined, as always, but especially for this episode, by me, Dan, his brother. Yeah, so this was a script we've actually had for a while, at least the beginnings of it. It's kind of a more retro discussion. You know, I've done several podcasts on like MIDI with the 7970, some of my early builds, and we've never really gotten your take on what it's like to game on PCs for the past 10 years. And so this episode is going to involve early consoles we played, early graphics cards we owned, problems we had, some of them caused by ourselves when we were building PCs. And this is really the level set for a lot of the die shrinks coming out right now will be about like Bulldozer, the HD 6000 series, Fairme, I'm sure we'll do one on that at some point, the original Titan. A lot of products from the last 10 years, and I think this is important to kind of come out first, especially for, you know, hitchhikers who aren't subscribing for the die shrinks. I think it's important for everyone to just know where our original opinions came from. Um, So, yeah. I'll also add, I think it's, I I, I don't know, important, but it's also uh, a good perspective to show like some of these stupid things, especially I did as a newer PC gamer, but... Oh, yeah, and we try to hide our mistakes as much as we can so you think that we're all-knowing. But, guys, we're really not all-knowing. We've made tons of mistakes. A lot more when we first started building PCs than now, of course. But but you'll you'll hear some funny stories. And um, I guess um, I'm trying to think of where to start here. Well, I guess let's just get to the first reader mail. This comes from Guitar Guy 515 and he says, I'm interested in the evolution of emulation. Game companies over time, favorite game series. We will be doing die tricks on that actually, Guitar Guy. And also what chipsets or architectures did you start on and transition through over the years? That's actually an old reader mail that gave us some of the inspiration for this. And this is another thing I'll throw out there too. There will be some reader mails here that were asked months ago. And I do save your reader mails, guys, for future episodes if we can't work them into uh, a, a more contemporary one around when you ask it. But out of what he talked about, I want to talk about the game consoles first. Not long, say mostly PC, <laughs> hardware, and gaming uh, podcasts. But at the same time, consoles use PC hardware to game. And, you know, I, I guess I'll start for myself. We, or at least I, gamed on Windows 95 and 98 before we owned any console. Uh, Well, I mean, I think even you, this would have been before I would have ever used a computer. I think mom and dad even say, like, there was some game you had on, like, IBM when they were still a thing in the market. Um, They had an IBM PC. I I don't know. Did they ever run Windows? I sound so stupid right now. I, I... I'm going to sound stupid. I remember the IBM PC, and I remember playing games on it, but then I also remember playing... 
Rayman. And I don't remember if that was on the IBM or an HP they got after that. I couldn't tell you, but my exposure to Windows really started out mostly probably when I was with, I would say probably XP is when I started actually using it pretty frequently. I mean, before then I would use it from time to time. I definitely had used like a Windows 95 PC before, but yeah, and I'm a, I'm a few years older than you. I mean, our first gaming, like hard gaming, I don't know. It would have been in like daycares on like a Sega Genesis or even before that, maybe an NES a little bit. And I remember liking the Sega Genesis more than the... <laughs> they had a Sega Genesis and an N64. For some reason, I really liked the original side-scrolling Sonics mm-hmm. when I was young. I liked them a lot more than the 2D Marios, although Mario is fine. Um, I do remember, though, being blown away by Star Fox 64. So one point I got straight A's, and then we got an N64. You remember that? Yeah, I would say Star Fox 64 would be the first game I thought was, like, really, really good. Yeah. Uh, Even more so than other, like, Super Mario 64 I was never into. I don't know if I brought that up on this before. I probably have. But I, I really think Star Fox 64 is... An excellent game that still oh it pretty still much good. holds up today. It holds up, and and I was actually I don't remember the last time I played it. I did actually go back and play it like a few years ago, and it's funny because people often talk about this. Is just a random tangent, but people often talk about how games got easier over time. And while I certainly think some game series have gotten easier <laughs> over time, guys, look when I went back and played Star Fox sixty four a few years ago. I made that game my bitch. It was, I had not played it in a decade. And I was rolling over boss after boss, no tutorials, just destroying everything. So I, I do have to say that I know games, some games, older games were really hard. And sometimes that was intentional because they were only really three hours long if you didn't die. But at the same time, I've got to say some of them, if you go back and play them, and, and there's and that's not the only one. I mean, I think you just get better at games as you get older. Although I don't, I think I've plateaued in my game prowess about three years ago i mean yeah i have to to an extent there's just a matter of time where it's like you're you start losing time to be able to play games that with doing like actual adult stuff so yeah, well, what, besides um star fox what do you remember playing on the n64 a lot uh i mean for me it would be mostly and uh, for n64 would mostly be star fox uh paper mario and Super Smash Bros. probably. Yeah, I played the shit out of Super Smash Bros. And Paper Mario, I probably beat about, I mean, maybe literally a dozen times. Uh, I so enjoyed Paper Mario back then. It was ridiculous. I also played Bomberman. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember it. I never played it, though, really. Yeah, I remember you watching me play it when you were little. I think I played through several of them. I really liked Bomberman, too. <laughs> I mean, thinking about the first game that I probably really went through all like completely by myself i i think probably was like paper mario on, mm-hmm. at least on a console so. yeah and so then i and then we got game boys after the n64 right yeah i don't know which i don't know if you want to add on to that much i mean it was all pokemon right yeah it was all, <laughs> it was all pokemon and uh and then we went to the PS2 from the n64 specifically because a friend blew me away with final fantasy 10 yeah, yeah. That's that's what made us get it. Uh, was that I don't remember if that made us get it or if that made us get Final Fantasy 10. You get Final Fantasy 10. I thought we had a PS2 by then. 
Yeah, we did. That that I remember getting it also for Spyro because I just loved Spyro. I played at a friend's house at the time. And I got to say, though, <laughs> wrong Spyro to get a console for. The PS2 one sucked. <laughs> I mean, that's when they went third party, though. So what, what do you? Yeah, the same yeah. developer. So what do you expect? But I guess the PSP was probably the first console you really owned yourself, wasn't it? Ah, uh, yeah. PSP, then PS3 were the first like two consoles I actually played. But like, I it was my own thing that I had. Yeah, I remember before that we had a GameCube too, which we played a lot. Yeah, we played that a decent amount. Uh, not a ton, but the GameCube dropped in price really fast. I think it was. I got it for fifty bucks. Okay, I, was I, I bought say- it when I was in middle school myself. I think. It would have been before middle school, I think, but oh, well, maybe no, it was probably late early middle school. Oh, yeah, it was probably middle school for you. It, it was dropped. I saved up my like five dollar a week allowance. Well, what did doing it doing chores and bought a GameCube? I know? mean, what did it even launch at two hundred dollars or something? I honestly don't remember, but I think so. So, and that thing dropped in price really fast, which is actually hilarious. My um, because my friends uh talking to them about like the N64 and GameCube, it's so ubiquitous in like retro game talks now. They like all thought that those game consoles sold super well, and then I told them, "Oh no, no, they." The, That's why we got it for the 50 GameCube bucks. sold like twenty million, and the N sixty four sold like thirty million. They were wait, really? Yeah, those sold like shit. The- well, yeah, but at the same time, though, the thousand the Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, specifically the GameCube Super Smash Bros, was incredibly good. I, I well, that's the funny thing is that it those games did so. Those that console did so poorly at the time that now there's those like uh, really well renowned games like Super Smash Bros. Melee that I think still goes for like eighty or ninety dollars used. Because oh, I, I still think it's the best Super Smash Bros. And I mean, there were other games like Pikmin and lesser known ones like Battalion yeah. Wars. I loved Battalion Wars. What a unique game! You know, but the GameCube had some really good exclusives. Yeah, and the game that I there's think there's a reason we bought it. The game that like tried to emulate. Uh, Battalion Wars, like the only game I can really think of was like Tom Clancy's End War. Yeah, that was kind like, of, but you can't really play it yeah. like a shooter. I mean, the other th- closest thing would be like Mountain Blade, except more linear and without the world building. Yeah, but in terms true. of a combat system where you get to fight and control people, there was another game on PS2. It was like a res- it was I think it was a launch PS2 game. I certainly didn't play it around launch and it was like a resistance game where the Russians invaded America. It's kind of a red dawn scenario and you can control factions of 16 people and move squads around. I don't Do you remember, remember watching me? I, I love that, that game, game too. And then the other game that had a comparatively pretty shallow system would be like the conquest mode in Star Wars Battlefront. Oh, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, moving past that, I'd say yeah, the PS3 was when we started doing a ton of gaming, but also when we started really branching into decent amounts of PC gaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we'll talk about a lot of games from that era on all types of consoles, and before that in Die Shrinks in the future as well. But so that's, that's I wanted to touch on that a bit, because, you know, we started, I, well, I started when I was little, mostly on PC, then consoles, then we started gravitating back to PC when the console generation dragged on way too long. Yeah, which it's funny uh, thinking about it now with this 
current console generation. They're about equal lengths of time, but this one... Yeah, maybe like a year shorter or so. This one doesn't really feel like it's overstaying its welcome, where the PS3 360 generation was really starting to overstay its yeah, welcome. So, and, 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 I, and I definitely agree with people that say the PS360 gen was like the golden age of like innovative games with decent graphics. Like, I, I agree. I, I really do think people overlook how badly those games actually work, though, compared to the current gen. I know the current gen doesn't have as many amazing exclusives. It doesn't have uh, maybe too many open world games. And there's not like, I mean, I mean, when you think of last gen with like Bioshock and Assassin's Creed, these are insane franchises that were invented. Having said that, they kind of didn't work sometimes. I mean, those games did, but. Yeah, but it's almost like the PS360 generation kind of not perfected, but made the ideas in the PS2 generation i'll say xbox too because uh it, it made those, Cube, yeah it made those concepts work because if you yeah. play like ps2 games first person shooters those games are incredibly janky. very few of them are good some of them were but there's that's like you counted on your hand the ones that ran well yeah and the good ones they're still pretty janky when you compare them to the ps3 generation where once you go to the ps4 xbox one gen it's like yeah they look better they run better everything but they're still it's constant, first person constant shooter. freezing, constant updates. Yeah. I know. And if again, like by the end of the PS360 generation, those consoles were so slow, so slow. So I think people really go dig up your old consoles, guys. They are not as fast. And as much as you can, as much as the GameCube and PS2 had a really simplistic operating system, I mean, they booted kind of more reliably sometimes i feel like well yeah that was one i I think that was uh when greg miller and like colin moriarty were still doing a podcast like i think greg miller said something like and the ps3 generate is now using the future uh ps store because they hate when their consoles work or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah they just didn't age well they were bogged down by the amount of features i mean it was like it's like you know just take the ps3 for example it's like yeah technically it can do uh any any single thing the PS4 or Xbox One can do, but it cannot do it as well. And if you try to do two things at once, I mean, those consoles had half a gigabyte of RAM. Yeah. <laughs> I, enough to say we migrated to PC, although we do have a last reader mail here that involves a console. Um, and it's about the Dreamcast. I don't plan on doing a die shrink about the Dreamcast, but I did put some effort into this answer because I think now is the time to answer it for us. And anyways, Steve Hanacker writes in, he says, I'd really like to know why the Dreamcast failed. It was probably my favorite console, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, Power Zone, Fantasy Star Online. And um, I don't know, you did a, you went down a rabbit hole of consoles last night before yeah. we recorded this. So what, what do you say about the Dreamcast, Dan? Uh, I, I guess I just saw this... Uh question and I got kind of just decided to do my own research because I I don't really know that much about like anything before the PS1 generation really and after like reading a, for a while about it it really just seemed like every console manufacturer was bad uh, except for Nintendo until PlayStation came around like <laughs> Uh, and there are some people that get mad at you, but we're not insulting you for owning a console. I, th- I don't get why people get the. And, and I guess you know. I'm, I'm not saying that the games on it were bad either. Oh, certainly not. I, I'm just saying, like, uh, I, I did the math quick, and the uh, Sega made five consoles in 15 years. So I think that is yeah. a that is a uh, business model that was destined to fail. And 
the Dreamcast happened to be the la- when they ran out of money to keep making consoles, I think. And that's what I would emphasize as well. Uh, I think when people say, well, like, why did the Dreamcast fail? It's It wasn't a terrible console. It just, I, Sega ran out of money. Their, their business model, they weren't as good at coming up with a successful console generation over generation business model as Nintendo and then Sony were. And nor as good as Microsoft, I would say, either. Like they just, like you said, too many consoles. They kind of threw too many ideas at the walls. They they tended to make really expensive consoles randomly, I remember too. Like I yeah. think Sega Saturn was, and they made weird business decisions about when, like the times of the year they would launch consoles, I remember too, without getting into too many specifics. But outside of that, I just got to say, it's like, I think the Dreamcast would have gotten to 20 or 30 million consoles if they would have kept making it. It was only out for like a year and then they just stopped making it because they ran out of money when the PS2 came out. And I guess the only other thing I'd add on top of that is it, 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 a lot of people say things like, well, you know, it was basically a PS2 early. And it's like, well, again, and, and we're not hurt, hating on any of these games. Like, for instance, Steve Hanacker mentions uh, Fantasy Star Online. I know a lot of people love that game. The games were fine. The console ran well. It was the strongest console, I believe, when it came out. That's true. But the PS2 was a cheap $300 console and it had a DVD player and it was over four times stronger. Like it was stronger and it had two analog sticks. It, it, it was, I don't know how you were going to compete with that. And then the GameCube and the Xbox, I think it would have for a while, but I don't, I don't think it would have done great. Honestly. No, I, I doubt it would have. It, it's just, Yeah, Sega kind of had a history of not knowing how to launch consoles. And I really think that I think the real story of everything before PlayStation one was Nintendo was the good manufacturer. Yeah. Sony completely disrupted the space. Nintendo was the only manufacturer that was able to weather the storm. Because there were other console manufacturers besides Sega. There were a couple that had several generations, I think. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I guess that's that's our mini Dreamcast episode right there. I don't think we have enough to do a full die shrink on it, at least right now. But I've had that question for a while, and I did have some opinions. I don't plan on doing any videos, so I hope that was a good answer. But now let us start getting more into the PC-centric stuff. So Mentat Tag writes in, and he says, okay, so maybe this has been addressed, or maybe it hasn't, but I love your content, Tom, and great discussions and all, but... I have a hard time taking Dan seriously when he says NVIDIA. Just saying you both are great. I'm just saying it's good content, but can you correct him? I, for me, I feel like your content is well-rounded and serious, and then you guys can't pronounce anything correctly. I can't take it anymore. Also, would really like to know how he came to say it like that. I feel like there's a story here. Well, Dan, is there a story here? I mean, the story is... Um... I don't know how many made-up words people read. When you read about like tech or science and stuff, you read a lot of made-up words and you never hear them pronounced. And you come up with your own pronunciation in your head. I know NVIDIA is the proper pronunciation of that company's name. But when I read it, I was like, oh, that's NVIDIA. And And I said that too. So, Mentech, just so you know, I was making that mistake for the majority of my channel's life. Yeah, and it's not that I I try to say NVIDIA now, but I really, frankly, don't care that much because, like I said, it's a made-up word. Um, 
Well, it comes from, I think, some Latin thing, actually. Oh, okay. I think it comes from like a Latin word for envy, I think. Oh. Uh, don't, if oh, I'm wrong, don't so, you guys fucking tell me in the comments. So envy mixed with video, that's a real word. You're correct. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I do try to say NVIDIA, but I do just say NVIDIA because I was saying NVIDIA for like six or seven years before I ever yeah. said anything on YouTube. <laughs> I, you know, I've got some pretty dumb ones, too. I used to play Age of Empires 2 a lot. I used to say tree budget instead of trebuchet when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, the only thing I would say is, I mean, I encourage anyone to try making a podcast, YouTube channel, do do stand up comedy, something where you speak in front of a bunch of people. You will be surprised how many things you are saying wrong and don't even realize it. How many things even you may say wrong, don't realize you're saying it wrong, even though you hear other people say it correctly. Yeah, so I guess that pretty much does it for that question. And now we're going to really start getting into where Dan's going to have to start taking over more and more. And this more and more PC-centric section, Kiwi Phil writes in, and he says, most favorite upgrade over the last decade. Worst upgrade maybe two for both Dan and Tom to address, please. Okay, well, we'll be the judge of if we both answer, Kiwi Phil. But. I, I mean, I would say my best upgrade was 560 Ti to 7950. And my worst upgrade was uh, Venom X4 980 to uh, the FX8320. Yeah, well, we'll get to why that was a mistake, but it's not what people think. I mean, like, what's your favorite graphics card you've ever owned before we start getting deep into this? My 7950. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, I, I think I got the, uh, co- not the core, the uh, memory of uh, 40% plus on that thing. So yeah. I really like that card. Actually, yeah. that was my second 7950. Though. Yeah, which we I had a couple in Crossfire for mining. And um, my, my first 7950 was pretty close to that good. It, it was a lower tier overclocker in that it only overclocked by over 20%. Yeah, like both of them were excellent overclockers. My second uh, reference one was better, though. What, what's your favorite CPU phone? You can include laptops, anything. I don't know. Um, probably the... At the time, the 570, 775C or the uh, 2700X, I would say. Like the one you just had. Yeah, yeah. you. For those, you, those two are good CPUs. I, I, I just upgraded because I could upgrade for really cheap and I knew it would be better. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I feel like for you specifically, it's always been about necessity what CPU you own, yeah. much less than a vanity upgrade or having fun. Yeah, for especially me, I, CPUs. I'm a more aggressive and. Well, I'm older than you, so I have more money, yeah. usually. Except when we used to call you money bags when you were younger because you didn't buy anything. And when, then me and Justin, our cousin, would try to trick you into buying stuff from us. Yeah, and the <laughs> I think the big carryover is I have a an aversion to gambling. I hate, I hate that concept, but... I don't think that's from us trying to trick you into buying stuff from us, right? No, I mean, I think the big carryover for me never wanting to spend money is that. But Okay. <laughs> Oh, I see what you're saying. You don't want to add on to the money bag stories? Yeah. No, no I, don't, I don't think so. All right. They're pretty funny, though. Then we never really talked about them. So I guess let's drill in here, then. When it comes to PC building, I, I mean, I actually don't know what you're going to say. Like, what do you remember about building a desktop PC? I mean, I built mine before you. Yeah, yeah. Answer that first. What do you remember about me building the first one? I have several questions. Right, I, mean, I, I don't know. You were in college. You, right? you were like, um, 
I think it was like 2011. But when we got back into PC gaming, two thousand, yeah, I think you built two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, or some early two thousand twelve. I mean, I don't know. I guess when you were up building a PC, it was like, yeah, this seems like the best option. I can just learn how to build a PC and build, <laughs> and that's really the extent to what I remember. And I was like, all right, that seems smart. Uh, laptops seem pretty shitty for gaming in general, so might as well go to a desktop and get like a cheaper. Still nice laptop, but don't go for a gaming laptop in the future. I guess that's my main memory of you. Uh, right. Which, starting to build. Which, which leads me to, when did you know you wanted to build one? Um, I mean, I had we had some components from a... Uh, from a, We had some Dell PC that was... Uh, our family old, did. Yeah. Well, that, I was at college. Yeah, our parents had upgraded to a Mac. They were retiring it. And that PC was weird because... Uh, this was when Dell was like a really shit company. Um, yeah, it's like the dark so, ages of Dell. So our PC broke and all of the parts for it were old and they n- needed to basically bump us up to a new model because I think they had, I think it might've been a core two, maybe, yeah, maybe so, a core two quad. So, that they so, had. so that, that family PC, which again, me and Dan come from the generation technically where there was one family desktop that everyone shared. Not everyone just had three devices to themselves. Um, I think it was built so that I could do AutoCAD in high school because there was actually a decent engineering program at our high school. Uh, and I believe it had to have had a core two quad and then a dedicated NVIDIA graphics card, but I don't know what it had. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if they had put like a low end quadro in it. I don't, re- <laughs> I could run I, games too. I, I, I remember think it was that. like an, I don't remember exactly what it was. Well, the thing that it was in it was terrible. Uh, it, but it, I, I, the graphics well, well, was let, terrible. Let, but. Let, let's save that. Because I remember it working pretty damn well for running uh, uh, Mass Effect. I played Mass Effect on it, and I could pretty much max it out. Um, and this is where we get into your first build. So it broke, right? And I believe it had some type of quadro professional card that was probably similar to a 550 Ti or something. And, and, and let me get to what I'm going to say. Or I think oh, it was I... just below a 550 Ti, actually. Um, and, and then it also had a Core 2 Quad. I think when it broke and we sent it back to Dell, they sent us an inferior PC. Yeah. So At least said, in terms of the graphics card. They said they had to upgrade it. And maybe you'll remember, I think it... I think it said it was like a desktop version of an MX. I mean, not an MX of a like GT like 150 or something like that. In that, it was a, or maybe it was a. Oh, I remember. It was a GT. I believe like a GT 110. I had a 130 yeah, M in my laptop. I had a 130 M. This had a 110 M, like an underclocked. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. It was probably like an underclocked. 8600 GT or something like it yeah. was for 2012 horrible horrible i really think whatever they quote unquote upgraded it to was not as good as the previous graphics card i'm sure now it had an i7 920 which was for sure better than whatever was in it before that but i just do not think the graphics card was yeah and the pc they quote unquote upgraded us to kept having issues with it which uh, this is before I knew how to really diagnose PC issues. And I learned that uh, 
Dell tech support is way worse at troubleshooting a PC problem than a 15-year-old with uh, time to read Google. Uh, oh, God, they were so bad. Because uh, they were like, well, uh, we think it's the processor. We think it's the motherboard. It was, ba- it was bad never RAM. never the processor. Uh, but my first gaming PC, I guess, was that. The graphics card couldn't render shit. I couldn't use, like, the minimum draw distance in Fallout 3. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. So my first PC was that plus a 6450. So an i7-920 with a 6450. Right, and yeah. Uh, and I remember the, the i7-920, uh, in hindsight, I know so many people overclocked their i7. Actually, it was an i7-930. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and so many people overclocked their i7-920s to 4 gigahertz. It was... Not always you could get there, but it seemed like almost everyone could get to 3.6, 3.8 gigahertz. And that one couldn't, the nine i7-930 we had couldn't break 3.4. Yeah, it was awful. It was not a good It, it makes me wonder if we, if again, Dell just gave us, like if they bought the cheapest 930 ver- I don't. I don't know, right? That doesn't really make sense, but we certainly did. Even when we got a better X580, X58 motherboard, yeah, yeah. it did not overclock like at all. It was terrible. Yeah, so essentially that was my first PC. And then when uh, I did my first like actual build soon after Tom did his, and uh, I used the i7-930 as like the base for my, uh, for my uh, system. I got a better like chipset, an X58 uh, chipset motherboard. Uh, I got a 560 Ti, six gigabytes, uh, triple channel memory. That was my first build pretty much. Yeah. Uh, going back to the HD 6450, I, I always liked that card. I think we still have it around here, actually. Yeah, it's somewhere. <laughs> uh, that was our, it was a one gigabyte version, right? No, I think it was 512 megabytes. 512 megabytes. I remember, though, we got it for like $40. That was our first yeah. AMD graphics card, technically. Yeah. So $40, and it was over twice as good as the graphics card you had before. And I remember just starting to crank up the settings in Fallout 3 and be like, oh, there you go. Yeah, could I actually play it, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, uh, actually, I played with it before a couple of years later for fun. It overclocked pretty well. You could get like 30% higher core <laughs> clocks, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure. It could run Crisis. <laughs> but yeah, so I remember that back then too, that that's how useless integrated graphics were, that it was like there were these $40 graphics cards that were like twice, three, four, like five times better than integrated. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, so I guess the, in early 2012, probably like March, I guess, that's probably when I did my first actual like DIY build. And I just used that i7-930 as the basis for it because... Yeah, you got a CPU. I got a. I think I got a used X fifty eight Azeroth motherboard. Mm-hmm. And, and you, why did you upgrade? Out? I don't even remember. Did it break the motherboard? Yeah, something happened. Uh, something happened to the motherboard. I was. I, I honestly can't remember exactly what the issue was because it was a while ago. But I did a lot of testing when it started failing, and I figured out it was the X fifty eight motherboard that was the problem. I upgraded to... Which I, was the second one we got, too. No, I tried to get a second X58 motherboard. Oh, yeah. And... It's a horror story. Uh, I got a new... I Not new. I got a used like-new condition motherboard. It smelled like new. Yeah, from Amazon. And when I got it, um, it smelled like cigarette smoke. It was covered in ash. <laughs> About 10% of the pins on the motherboard were bent. 
uh, part of the PCB was just fucking broken off. And oh, like, oh my God. Did you actually try to boot it up too? Yeah. And it did not. It, you could boot into the BIOS, That's hilarious. but it, it wouldn't boot anywhere. What the hell do you think that guy did with that before he tried to sell it to you? I don't know what he did. But the pictures he showed were definitely not of the motherboard he gave you. Yeah, that was, I mean, this is a, uh, ad for Amazon's customer service. Um, I tried to return and I said, this isn't the product you sold me. And he said, what do you mean like new? And then he sent me a picture of a working PC. I said, well, that's cool. This isn't what I doubt that motherboard was in there. The guy got a strike against him. We got a refund and we sent it back. And that's when I uh, upgraded to a nine. I uh, just the, wanted to start over, right? Yeah. And that's when I upgraded to the Phenom. Yeah, and um, that's something I've always said is it's like, you know, used CPUs, as long as the pins aren't bent or something, are almost always super reliable. Used graphics cards are okay, but I try to not buy used motherboards because those do just wear out, in my opinion. Now, granted, your example had a piece of the PCB broken out. That's not what I'm talking about, but... Well, yeah, but I also had that first one that didn't really work either, so. Yeah, I've had a lot of bad experience with used motherboards, just in general. Honestly, I have. Yeah, I'd agree. So, you, so we have a reader mail here. A Wyborn writes in, and he says, How do you think the mid-range path, i7, FX8 cores, Phenom 6 cores, has compared to the lower-range path, i3, i5, FX4, 6-core, Phenom 4-core, through this time? Hmm. So, yeah, it's a pretty open-ended question i guess i guess the way i would frame what i think he's asking is how would you uh, in the past 10 uh, and let's say let's talk pre-zen one pre-zen one world Mm -hmm. maybe even pre-skylake how do you think of the low range cpu path to the high end Um, i know it's really uh, open-ended that's uh, i would say all of them had pre-zen one there was definitely a lot of credence for all of them like, uh, but pre-Skylake, there was, I would say, a decent uh, reason to get an i3, decent reason to get an i5. I, I actually guess I can't say if this was real or if this was just bad advice because I did get a lot of bad advice early on. But it seemed like the mid-range for CPUs for a while was the way to go with like the i5-3570 or the i5, what was it, 20... 550k was that well, uh, that may have existed but the 2500k is what yeah yeah yeah, yeah. talk about yeah um I, I i i think if you go back to core to quad nahalem and phenom and Athlon, you see the whole product stack was pretty good the ultimate high end was mostly a waste of time though and then once, this is just my opinion, then once Sandy Bridge came out, it was like, oh yeah, mid-range all the way on CPUs if all you're doing is gaming. Until you started to get to Haswell, where four cores just was starting to not be enough, frankly, with the advent four, of the Xbox One and PS4. Four, four cores started overstaying its welcome. Yeah, I would say with Haswell. Yeah. Bro- or, or Broadwell, at least. And that's when I started to gravitate towards low-end or high-end, because either you, you want to just get barely 60 frames with an i3, or you want the high frame rates and enough threads with an i7. And I think I think now, in a post-Zen world, especially now that we're getting towards the Zen 3 launch and all of that, it's like, I think there's something for everyone, and I even say it's better than when we got into PC gaming and even five years before that, because before the super high-end processors weren't 
that much better than the mid-range, even when AMD was competitive back then. And I'd say now they're, <laughs> they're a lot stronger. I mean, and, and where we're to right now, I think I would say either go with something like the 2700X or like the 3800X. I don't think there's many use cases today for getting the like 3950. Uh, I mean, there's obviously some you have one, but no, yeah, but like for for if you're yeah. just mainly a gaming PC person, I think anywhere in that range is good at this point. Yeah, I think much more so than before. Every segment has a use case, though, is what I'm saying. So yeah, it's yeah. like I it's kind of like before with the i3s, I suppose, and that a Sandy Bridge i3, even a Nehalem i3, if you overclocked it, would get you 60 frames in every game. And if that's all you're doing, I don't know why you need more than that. And, and I think that's true again with the 1600 AF and yeah, that's and, and with a lot of other things coming out soon that I talked about in a video 30 minutes before we started recording this. You know, the low end's good. The mid range for me is it's it's better than the low end though, uh, unlike bef- a little earlier. And the high end is just for the right use cases, it's actually stronger. Again, I got to point that out. Like when we talk about a one thousand dollar or or yeah, I mean like. You could go all the way up to, you know, a 24 core Threadripper 3970. There's a 3960X. I don't remember. The 24 core Threadripper. Don't get mad at me, guys. Yeah. Um, like that is way above mid range CPUs. It's like double the price of my 69, my 3950X, but it's, you know, 50% more cores. It's not even double the price either. And when you went back to when we started building PCs, it was like either a $300 quad core eight thread i7, or you spend qu- triple the money for 50% more cores. Yeah. Which I think the, high, I guess that's what I'm saying is I think the high end of the past, pretty much uniformly, it was kind of a waste of time for most people. Yeah, I guess that's a, a good way to put it is I think the, uh, I, I, I don't know, would you call it 3950X is HEDT or near HEDT, I guess, but it's a consumer CPU. Okay. So I would say the high end consumer. It's just AMD can build as a, <laughs> as a workstation CPU because of how much Intel is nothing. <laughs> I, I guess the way I would put it is now today, the uh, curve of performance that you see with the upgrading of tiers, it's a lot more of a line than an exponential, like yeah. price performance. There's like, always been weird bumps in like exponential curves in the past for price performance. And now it's more of a straight line. Yeah. So it's like you can set, I usually would say if I was recommending building a PC to a friend, I would say get like a 3800X if you're looking for. As long as it's 300 bucks. No. Yeah, like ultimate performance or whatever. But it's just, I don't think the delineation of no, this is literally where you stop is as clear as it used to be. No. So like when uh, Ivy Bridge came out, like I think you can, yeah, you can make the case for getting the i7 and the i5-3570K was probably Which the best is what I choice. Had. Yeah. Uh, but. You could get to the i7. There would be diminishing returns. You would still have a better product, but if you way more diminishing returns than now. But if you went wanted to go to the next step up, you would be spending like eight hundred dollars. Insane amount. I mean, when when Intel launched the Broadwell E six nine fifty X for like eighteen hundred dollars, that was just hilarious. (laughs) It's just like yeah, okay. So now we go to two point five times the cores for over four times the price. It, It was absolute lunacy. But, you know, they could get away with it. 
I guess that's the math they probably said too. Is it? Yeah, yeah, which I remember being funny. I would see like forum posts like, "I have a six thousand dollar budget for a PC." <laughs> at, at that point in time, and people would just be like, "Don't spend that much." <laughs> yeah, because like you literally won't get more frames. Yeah, but yeah. So like speaking of frames, I mean, how was the Phenom Two compared to the i Seven? Pretty similar. I mean, I, I would say a lot of what I had starting out was. Um, it, especially with CPUs, it was kind of just, I okay, I guess I'm just fucking doing this now. Uh, upgrading. And how much did you pay for it? Wasn't it like $80? Yeah, that's why I got it. It was cheap as hell. And I, <laughs> I, I love the Phenom series. And you got it. I could get it. I think I got the motherboard, which was the top end uh, chipset for the motherboard for like a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah, too. 32 PCIe lanes. Yeah. Uh, so I had that. Um, I mean, yeah, it was a, it was fine. I guess I, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, when I look back on my first PC, which I got an Ivy Bridge i5 for $200, like a week after launch, which is a really good deal. And then I got a 560 Ti, as I've said before, because I did not know Radeon basically existed, right? Like, I didn't know what their lineup was, why I would, you know, what the difference was, which was nothing. It's just cheaper and stronger. (laughs) But um, in hindsight, if I could go back, I you know I spent two hundred dollars for that i five. I think I would have preferred to get like a one forty dollar Phenom two times six. Yeah, maybe. And then taking that extra sixty bucks to go all the way up to like a six nine seventy or something at the time. Yeah, it would have been better. I probably wouldn't have even gotten a seven nine seventy. I wouldn't need it. Yeah, so you got a pretty good deal for that 970, if I remember correctly, though. Yes, I did. I traded. Well, we'll we'll get into that in a second here. So Headshot writes in and he says, talk about your experience with Phenom 2. Mine gave me a lot of good reasons to hate AMD for 10 years, even if I would test and use them in several machines since then. Yeah, so I can't say much. I like the Athlon 2 and Phenom 2 series. There's that Athlon 2 X3, which was like the insane budget gaming CPU for like 60 bucks, three mm-hmm. cores. That was so awesome. And I don't know, I used Phenom 2s for that I got for $10 in mining rigs, even all the way back three years ago, if you remember. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like the... I have a soft spot for Phenom 2s. The Phenom 2, uh, I don't know, performed fine. It was a decent overclocker. I, that's... About the extent I have to say about it, I, I didn't have it for that long, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is burying the lead a little bit. But uh, it's it, it was fine, I guess. I, the only thing I'll say is I do know of one issue, but I don't know that it's AMD's fault. Like you didn't have any instability problems with that PC, did you? You remember? No, no. At least nothing that sticks out. I remember. I mean, I was also dealing with a constantly breaking 560 Ti, so who the hell knows? Maybe there were some CPUs just thrown in there. Which we've recounted this in several previous podcasts, including my, I believe, my 7970 Origins podcast, which is like podcast number five of Broken Silk Hunter. It's around there, guys. Just go just go down there, and and there's there, you'll hear the 560 Ti story. Needless to say, we both went through tons. We had tons of friends where they had Fermi cards breaking. Fermi was not reliable and i remember i had a motherboard that didn't support sli but it did support crossfire and that's why you bought a 560 ti for me to run it in sli so that i could get a 6950 for crossfire right i don't remember no i think i bought yours initially and then i tried to get another one because i was bored and constantly trying to upgrade because i was a bored teenager yeah (laughs) um I mean, one and my 6950 crossfire worked out well, so I think you were like, "Yeah, sure." 
and the 5.6 ETI crossfire did not work out well. It was, I think, a problem with the board and the So we never could figure it out. This is one of the few times where we troubleshooted and we could not solve the issue even after a month. Like we could not figure it out why there was flickering in games on cross on on SLI, didn't matter what clocks we used, what was going on. And I found out a year later that there was a big NVIDIA driver bug with the 970 chipset, which you had. Oh, that makes sense. So that's what it was, you know, which... Again, which we, we didn't have any problems with 6950 Crossfire, which I even believe we did that. We literally took my cards, both of them, put them in yours, like, well, maybe let's see if this works. Yeah, we tried that. I tried each card individually in each uh, slot. I tried eat the card switching slots, all uh, every permutation you could think of. And uh, my conclusion was both cards work perfectly fine. Uh, and they just don't like each other. Well, they just don't like each other in conjunction with that motherboard yeah and it was funny the solution we came to was we had a cousin which i've already brought up named justin and he had a gtx 460 and he wouldn't have minded upgrading to a 560 ti a sizably stronger card and so he was like well i tell you what and i think i kind of brokered this i'm like well i don't know how soon we can sell this but i was at college at the time i believe and there was a decent uh, at, at michigan tech i think they called it husky board it was like a Craigslist or a bark board. That's what it was, which because uh, our mascot's a Husky, guys. And I was there was a good PC modding community in that college up north that I went to. And I was like, well, and I did this several times for you. Give me a part you want to sell. I'll just sell it at Michigan Tech and bring the money back to you next time I see you in like Thanksgiving or something. You know, you can wait a couple months. And the other to finish this, though, what you decided to do since you couldn't get 560 Ti across uh, SLI to work, is you traded it plus 40 bucks, I believe, to the 460. And I was like, I guarantee I can sell this 460 for like 80 bucks at Michigan Tech, and you'll have made all of the money back you spent on it, which did end up happening. But you used a 460 as a PhysX card for a while. Yeah, which PhysX sucks. Uh, <laughs> I did find it interesting though. In Metro 2033, you got it like a nine percent performance boost. Yeah, that's by true. offloading PhysX to the 460. Yeah, that's true. This is an interesting thing that I wonder. You know, we would have tried that with other graphics cards. I mean, I don't. I mean, we as in like the royal we we as a community. I, I just wonder if physics could have been offloaded and given everyone a thirty percent boost. But I don't know. We're all moving towards having less components in the PC at this point. So yeah, back then it wasn't like that though. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. And then eventually I was debating uh, later that year, because this was all the first year I went from an i7-930 to the Phenom, from a 560Ti to the 560Ti SLI. Then later that year I was debating, yeah, it was later that year I was trying to figure out if I wanted to get the 7970 or 79, I mean 7870. I decided to splurge on the 7950. And I don't yeah. remember what I did with my final five. I think we found a way to sell it. I think yeah, I sold it for something you happened Tech to it. Too. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, I remember. I sold it for you as well. Oh, yeah, you did. Um, Fatboy Diesel writes in and he says, I want to know about Dan's HD6950 adventures, to which I will say, Fatboy Diesel, these are my adventures.
for my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well, they have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShring for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and broken silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmark. Yeah, I went from a 560 Ti to the 7950, which earlier on I said 7950 was favorite card I've ever had. I, I Yeah, it I was, it's both. a legendary card. Yeah, and I, I loved both of those cards that I had because the first one I got, which was a Dual Sapphire X. Dual X Overclock. Uh, was that the Gigahertz edition? No, no. No, it was a 7950 Boost. Yeah, it was the Boost. So, kind of. Um, it, oh, I could get like a probably 20% Corian memory overclock on that thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, you got a, a launch card. blower fan 7950 about a year later for Crossfire and mining. And I got that for like a hundred bucks. Yeah. There was a guy, I remember I found it. I was like, Dan, they're selling 7950s for a hundred bucks. They have two of them. I'll take one, you take one. And I overclocked it to match my 7970. And eh, I will say the 7970. The 7950, just for you as well, I believe, the 7950 Crossfire did not work as well as the 6950 Crossfire. 6950 was much better frame pacing, more games seemed to work. It's just very clear that, like, and this is where I get into a tangent here, that there was a multi-GPU arms race in the GTX 200 series, the GTX 400 and 500 series, and AMD's HD 3000 through 6000 series. And then after that, both NVIDIA and AMD were slowly like, yeah, we don't want to do multi-card anymore. Yeah, that's true. And, and I think the other problem I had with the 7950, even when it worked, the, there was an... Because soon after I started set, using my 7950 Crossfire is when I got the 4K monitor. I would try to play games in 4K and I had the horsepower for 4K gaming for like 4K, like down res or 1440p gaming. Yeah, but the problem was three gigabytes wasn't big enough. No, so it was I kind of had to turn it off anyways because it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, and again, there were there were real, very real frame pacing issues back then with the HD seven thousand series. And yeah, there were. although Kepler didn't have as many frame pacing issues, it didn't scale nearly as highly. It was like fifty percent to sixty per seventy percent scaling. And it just didn't work in some games. So while well, I give NVIDIA credit for going for making it work more so than trying to get double the number and it not even giving you a better experience, which AMD seemed to go for. And to a certain extent, I don't even think they noticed they did that. They just got the number and were like, we did it. Bye. Yeah. Um but yeah, uh I, I guess 
Uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but yeah, to finish off what I my thoughts on the 560 Ti that started my hatred of the EVGA company, and I still to this day will not recommend an EVGA product. I have not interacted with an EVGA card that doesn't break, so that's most why of I don't this recommend comes from them. Fermi cards, but yeah, they're also the Pascal cards that lit on fire. By the way. Yeah, and also I had, uh, I think I skimped on the power supplies and a lot of my mining rigs for stupid. I mean, I can't justify. It. I don't know why I did. I had the money, uh, but I did. And I gotta say, anytime a power supply would break or go through issues, it would shut itself off, and then I'd send it back. The EVGA one is the only one that fried a system. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I can really say about that. But let us move on. So the FX8320, why did you get a pile driver CPU, Dan? Because I dropped my phenom and it broke. <laughs> Can we t- I want to tell this story. Uh, I'm going to tell from my perspective since you probably don't want to. But uh, I remember this was during Christmas, right? And uh, I remember distinctly, we got you a liquid cooling unit so that I think you're using the stock fan with your phenom, weren't you? Yeah. And so we were like, if we get you this liquid cooler, you can clock it 20% higher. That's like an upgrade. And so we get you this like on a super deal, this 120 millimeter radiator, liquid cooling all in one. And then I remember you, we were on the, uh, the island in our parents' kitchen. And so like there on the counter, you had all the components out and the phenom was there just sitting on the counter. And then you just like moved your elbow and just shuffleboarded it right off the counter. No, it was on a... Uh... It was on a our kitchen table. There was a dining cloth, and the dining cloth shifted and pushed it off the table. Uh, okay, so you so, do remember. And I remember yeah, the look I was on very your face angry. and my face. Yeah, I was very angry. We almost got it to work. We got it to boot into the BIOS. Uh, and into Windows. And then it would yeah, freeze it after would five minutes consistently. Yeah, so that, I mean, I guess that's almost working that case. Yeah, I mean, I mean, come on. That's like an EVGA level of working. <laughs> So yeah, uh, then I got the FX8320 because that seemed like the best deal at the time. Yeah. She got for 140, 150 bucks, I think. 100. Yeah, I think it was, did I say 8350? 8320 that I got for 140 bucks. Yeah, which you use with the new liquid cooler, which we rush shipped. Oh, this is before Thanksgiving, which is around when our birthdays are. Yeah. And then we, you know, we uh, hung out with family and stuff, and it worked. And and you did see a sizable FPS increase, at least in your games, right? In certain games, like I remember, at like a week after getting the eighty three twenty, I think, oh yeah, because I got the eighty three twenty almost immediately after I got the seven nine fifty. Like I got the seven nine fifty, and I think November or something, and it was getting <laughs> bottlenecked by your phenom. And then my phenom broke, and I got the eighty three twenty. Uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, I, I remember, uh, the like tier list Tom's hardware would publish a tier list every month. And it was like, Oh tier, yeah. It, like the back phenom, then their tier list was so dumb. I haven't checked it for years because of how much they pissed me off back then. Like the Phenom two X four was in the same tier as the 8320. They had I threes and like lower. They, 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 they had like a hundred processors in the same tier, including the Phenom and your FX that you upgraded to. Like, I think if I'm remembering correctly, the, uh, the FX got boosted my frame rate with the seven nine fifty on Assassin's Creed three. Because I think the Assassin's Creed 3 came with the 7950. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe, yeah. I think it its frame rate went from 
I struggled to get 20 frames a second on it with the Phenom. And when I got upgraded to the FX8320, it started getting 50 to 60 frames per second. Mm-hmm. So, And you were fine getting 60 FPS pretty much in every game, weren't you? Yeah. So yeah, as much as people give that CPU shit, it worked. And you got it for a good price, and you could certainly open all your Chrome tabs. Yeah, I could open as many Chrome tabs as I pleased. It, to, an, to a point, because Chrome does yeah. use a lot more. <laughs> you don't have a 3950 for you know, S-tier Chrome tabbing. No, no. I, I was at B, maybe low A-tier Chrome tabbing. Yeah. So Daniel Hyde writes in, and he said, would you say Piledriver Bulldozer is comparable to NetBurst in their failings? Um... I mean, I, I looked into this a little bit. I don't, I, I, I don't really know that much about that era of Intel. I mean, you might have more to say about it. I'm sure you do. Uh, it seemed like, based on my understanding, Intel made a promise about net burst that we still haven't been able to reach today with the 10 gigahertz. May, and we may never hit 10 gigahertz. I mean, maybe with graphene or something, but that's like, it's not now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I can't say it's completely a failing of Intel. I think that was just they didn't realize how much silicon would limit them to not 10 gigahertz because it seems like the cap right now is about five. Um, yeah, I don't I, I don't um, I mean, I, I, I think of them as just very similar failings. You know, Intel was like, we're going to scale with clock speed. And because we can get to 10 gigahertz, no one will be able to compete with us. And then they maxed out at, frankly, around three. <laughs> they got <laughs> some to four. And they were stuck at four. Well, frankly, Intel, ultra-mature 14 nanometer. Most things were around four gigahertz, AMD oh. or Intel. And when did they start getting consistent? Like Broadway. I mean, you could overclock Sandy Bridge past four gigahertz. Usually, yeah. Oh, much past it. 4.5 was easy, no drama. Oh, okay. I guess so. Oh, I, I felt like 4.3 was usually what people got to. No, that's when you started getting into the horrible thermal paste fiasco <laughs> of Ivy Bridge and especially Haswell. But it, well, mm-hmm. let's, we, I won't get into that. But I, I think of it just the same. You know, they said, hey, Bulldozer is going to go to five gigahertz and we're going to pare down the cores so you can still have eight threads. And uh, they bet on multi threading early and they couldn't get that. I mean, they got higher core clocks than Phenom, but it was on 32 nanometers. So it's like, I hope so. <laughs> you know, it. Uh, I just compare it to a similar type of thing. You know, they both screwed up. Yeah, that's true. And I know there were some net burst things that were a good deal at the time. I remember there were some years where pile driver seemed decent. Yeah, pile pile driver was okay the entire time I had it. I would say until I did not work for. 60 FPS, though, eventually. <laughs> well, we have a new die shrink coming out soon. I believe it is the one in a couple of days after this Broken Silicon comes out on the Friday. So very soon, guys, you'll get our full one-hour take on Bulldozer and pile driver. So we'll <laughs> save. We won't go too much further into that then. Bootman writes in, and he says, How important was overclocking for you, dot, for you guys? Or was stable PC better, even though there was low-hanging fruits uh, with extra watts to pick? Well, overclocking was enormous when we built our PCs. Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, 7000 series especially was kind of legendary for its overclocking. And we got golden samples for pretty much all of our 
cards in that. I don't series. think they were golden samples, you know. Uh, your yeah, first seven nine fifty certainly wasn't, but the no. second one and all of the other. I guess the, I guess you're right. The the the, the launch seven nine seventy nine hundred cards we had were all insane. They all got memory that went to like eighteen thirty megahertz. Yeah, which just so people know, the seven nine fifty is stock is twelve fifty. So you're you're almost getting like a fifty percent bandwidth increase. Yeah. <laughs> That's more than going from like, yeah, that's like going from. I mean, I'm trying to remember that. Like a 20. Yeah, that's like going from a 2080 to a Titan RTX bandwidth. That 7950 we had, if I'm remembering correctly, if you averaged memory memory and core clock uh, overclocking, I think I got. You got over 40 on the second one. I thought it was like 36%. I think Overall. the first one was, and the okay. second one you got, I did. It was like forty something. You got yeah. forty, and, and and we benchmarked it. You got over forty percent FPS increases. How yeah. would you leave that on the table? It's not like now where it's like, oh, I got ten percent more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back then, and and they, I don't remember them really being that unstable. I do remember getting really good at telling which temperature my PC would crash at with my seven nine seventy. That's how overclocked it was. I got thirty six percent more performance. And and I just again I really want to put this in perspective, people. A seven nine seventy at the time was the strongest card on the market. So it would be like if you had a Titan RTX and you overclocked it, it's like here's another thirty six percent. Yeah, and my seven nine fifty it was. It, I can't remember the temperature. I think it stopped. Uh, started uh, becoming unstable at like seventy eight degrees or something like that. Yeah, that's what mine did too. By the way, when you had voltage around twelve fifty mega millivolts or something. I, I don't remember that. I do. But um, I've tested it across several GCN cards. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I need I, I needed to have an overclock that would stay below seventy eight degrees, and if I kept it at that, my card never crashed. And I mean, never like I would run that thing for days mining. Yeah, they never did break. I broke mine because I tried to mod it with a all in one water cooler and almost destroyed it, and then eventually it just broke. Which someone did that with a Radeon Seven. Let's say who it was. Uh, recently but his still works and then i yeah i don't actually i don't know where my old 7950s are floating around now i think i sold both of them to i sold one of them for you at michigan tech and i think i sold another one to one of our f- friends at one point you I don't know, know. we always sold them for like 120 what's so funny or 100 if it was a friend what's so funny is that uh they still go for that on ebay regularly yeah i know it's so dumb yeah it's funny because i mined with those cards and at least the second one, I if I'm remembering correctly, I ended up making money on the sale selling it. Like, yeah, when would too. I have sold it? I, I sold mine for 120. I think I sold yours as well at Michigan Tech, and yeah, we we made 20 bucks. And it, and that's just it's so funny to think of that performance level, which is 7950, especially if you overclock it, is in between PS4 PS4 Pro performance, and that's at the 100 price point for graphics cards. That hasn't changed for like five years. Yeah. I mean, it's starting to change now, finally. Yeah. And then I guess to go forward, if you want to, what yeah. would my next upgrade be? Uh, the 4K monitor, right? Yeah. I want I to talk have, about that. You I got that, that today. And you still, yeah, it's still your main monitor. So you got it. I believe you got it right around in the 290X launch for whatever reason. I remember that. I got it in 2014. Yeah. So. You want to talk about that, like choosing it and like why you needed a new one? Uh, I mean, it's not that I super needed a new one. I'm still my secondary monitor is still my old primary monitor. (laughs) 
Uh, I just wanted to get a 4K TV. <laughs> I mean, monitor. Because, uh, as like, I mean, I, I feel like I'm wasting horsepower I have with this machine because I'm pretty sure I could at least game in 1440p with it. So, yeah, that was at least six years ago. It was a TN 4K, yeah. but it was three millisecond delay. Which so I better had than a lot of 4Ks now. Reduced to five millisecond delay oh, because right. I had ghosting issues on her. I don't know. Yeah, they had a game ghosting. mode that was atrocious, if I remember right. Yeah, it, it like shadows projected really long for some reason, and it was just really bad looking. So I turned it off. But what do you think about the 4K monitor market now? You paid six hundred dollars six years ago for a 4K. I mean, we talked about that before. Like, and it was a Samsung, guys. This was not yeah, no I, brand korean monitor it was a korean monitor it was samsung we ordered it from korea yeah and uh it's funny the settings on that were default in korean because it's a korean monitor and uh i couldn't figure out how to change the language for a long time so the uh the settings were all just in korean and i knew how to <laughs> control <laughs> them you figured them out slowly yeah until eventually i accidentally just switched uh, I accidentally like was fucking around with it and I said flipped up like English and I was like, Ooh. oh boy, <laughs> my monitor is in English now. This is awesome. Yeah, I remember you, that monitor, you showing it to my friend Brock, uh, Dark Souls 3 in 4K. And he was just like, because remember, uh, people, you know, 4K back in 2015, this was a big deal. Yeah. Like you didn't have a lot of 4K uh, displays around. And I remember him going, wow, it's just like Vaseline was wiped off the screen in 4K. Yeah, and I'll say 4K. Uh, As a college student, when I had that, um, 4K with a secondary monitor was great for doing classwork. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I remember it was Dark Souls 3 as well, right, that made you go, you need to upgrade processors. Yeah. Which was, we'll get to that in a second, Broadwell. But let's, we got a couple of reader mails about the monitor, so let's get into that. Blokes writes in, he says, the difference between 144 hertz and 240 hertz is fairly noticeable. He's referencing something we talked about in the last Broken Silicon. But the issue is that observing it requires either playing very old games or running hardcore memory overclocks. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get locked 240, it's probably going to be an old game. Because it's honestly a crapshoot whether 140 uh, whether 1440p 240 hertz or 2160p 144 hertz is the better long-term investment. He's referencing the Eve Spectre monitors we're yeah, talking about. But I'll continue for the people who listened to that episode. The latter is just going to be much less of a headache than the former. And that's, I think, what we said in our advice, too, is it's like, look, it's not easy to run 240 hertz at any resolution, let alone 1440p. So if it's like similar price, which I believe is like a $200 difference, $100 difference. It wasn't double the price. If you're going to go to, if you, but if you, if they were the same price, let's just even say you want to go with 1440p 240 or 2160p 144. I think me and you both agreed. Oh, go with 4k. That's a more standard resolution. And frankly, I think it is overall easier to run and maintain 144 locked at 4k than 240 Hertz. Cause you need an insanely overclocked memory timings and, and CPU for that. Yeah, I would personally say I think all that means the 4K 144 hertz is the better investment. Personally, like we know that that those are going to be this at least close to the standards that are going to be moved resolution maybe for the next decade. I don't know if we're going to move past it much. Frame rate, I don't know. Are we going to move to 240 hertz as a standard ever? Maybe, but we're not. I'd assume eventually, but yeah, I mean, a while. 
I think the, one, I think one twenty one forty four is where we're gonna stay for. And I do. I, I I am outspoken. I do think one twenty hertz is going to start become a very real mainstream standard. I believe the consoles will have games that will have a one twenty hertz option, and I believe that you will even see some movies in one twenty hertz in the next five years. I think one twenty hertz is going to become more and more standard. I don't see us moving past that anytime soon, though. I, I, uh, <laughs> I for movies, I have a hot take that I don't really think we're ever going to get past twenty four frames. Well, I think twenty four will be the standard for most movies forever. Because do but I, I think wanna, that, do I want to spend four times more money rendering this movie? No. <laughs> yeah, but rendering becomes cheaper, and I just think we're gonna someone's gonna try it out, and it's gonna look way better than forty eight hertz shit vision. <laughs> Which yeah, 48 hertz isn't fast enough to look crazy better, but it looks different, so it feels weird. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but seeing that uh, we might be moving to like more 4K 120 as a standard makes me think that uh, back to my monitor, I might be upgrading soon because I'm a. It is the, the monitor. It really is about to start showing its age pretty heavily. I think, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I'm really eyeing the Eve, the Eve monitors. Uh, I really think if they actually launch with a IGZO IPS one millisecond free sync 4K 144 hertz HDR 600 monitor, if that really comes out for 600 bucks quarter three, I'm getting it if I can easily get it. Assuming yeah. it gets good reviews. That's what I'm targeting. Uh, we'll see. I don't know when I'm going to... I plan on upgrading. Um, I would bet within the next... I would say 80% chance I'd get an, I'm getting a new monitor in the next 18 months, but we'll see. Yeah. Edward Go writes in, and he, Edward G. Doe writes in, and he goes, by the way, Tom, LG LED monitors from 2020 will get FreeSync support in a future firmware upgrade, and most probably the 2019 lineup will get it as well. I have a correction for you, Edward Dow. Uh, my, uh, the, I believe the C9 already has FreeSync support. I believe Cortex covered this on his channel as well. It just works. There's FreeSync support in there. Um, and I know they updated it to G-Sync already. FreeSync, it, it's just a DisplayPort standard, right? What a, isn't it like 1.6? Originally it was, yeah. It, that, okay, that AMD I, I, ran with to compete with G-Sync, yeah. Okay. Which we dealt with that whole thing. Which We can talk about that in a Kepler episode, actually, in the future. Uh, but yeah, so you upgraded to Broadwell because Dark Souls 3 was getting locked. We could not get above 40 frames. Am I wrong? Uh, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I can't remember. I believe I got my 390 before I got this. But the 390, I was wanted a new toy, so I bought it. Um, and then I Much got, better running 4K. Yeah, 8, eight, gigs gigs of, yeah. 8 gigs of RAM. I think I got that. I would have gotten that in like summer. Actually, spring break of 2015, I believe. Uh... <laughs> And then I got, uh, I think probably full, around when Dark Souls 3 came out is when I upgraded to the i7-5775C. Yeah. Because uh, I noticed that the 8320 was really limiting frame rates. Uh, like, I, I think I got the same frame rate at uh, in Dark Souls 3 from 1080p to 4K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> And I remember you just got it because we were just looking for deals and you didn't want to spend much. Now, the I-7 itself, if I remember right, was like 350 370 It wasn't cheap, but sometimes those went for 450 because they were a unicorn with their Super L4 cache. I didn't spend much on that then. I, well, the I, motherboard I, you got for 100 bucks. I remember that was the big deal and you I could think still use your DDR3. I think, yeah, I think my, the total upgrade cost was like 4 450 something like that. Right, and 
Much higher frame rates, right? And that was also probably the era of college where I became a workaholic and had three jobs. So I had a lot of disposable. Money. You finally had the, the monies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, and you use that till you got the 2700X. I mean, Christmas this in 2019. Yeah. And it was only because probably the RAM was going bad, but it's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to? That's how cheap Zen's getting now. Where it's like, I can buy more DDR3, or I can just spend a total of like 300 bucks and go to an 8-core 2700X with X570. With an yeah. upgrade path to Zen 3, 8, 16 cores. Yeah, it, it was just time to upgrade, and my system was starting to fail a little bit. Like, it wasn't terrible, but it would freeze every few weeks probably like every couple weeks may have been the motherboard then too yeah i've seen that before breaking motherboards yeah so it was just getting old and i thought it was time to upgrade to the 2700x and before that you got i do want to talk about this a bit too vega 56 yeah because that was a funny one because it was not the best price performance but i remember giving this like big speech to you and our friends group was right before i started moore's law is dead actually Mm, that was a year before you're right it would have been a little bit. I, I, I got the Vega 56 in like 20. It was 2017. 17, yeah. yeah. So it was a year before I started the channel, but that's when I was really into PC hardware. I mean, I was this whole time, but this was one of my most into it periods. And I was like, look, I think, I think I remember telling you guys, I don't think Vega is going to be the best price performance we've ever seen, but I'm telling you, a new mining boom is going to start and it's going to be one for the record books. So you guys, I just think, $500 with games and we wanted Wolfenstein and what else did it come with like Far Cry 5 or something not Far Cry 5 I don't think it came with Prey 2 yeah Far Cry, what are, I, I don't know they usually came they come with, with Dave Sex as well yeah so no? I don't I got it came Dave with Sex. Wolfenstein yeah <laughs> so it came with Wolfenstein and another game I know we wanted and so it really was saving money for $500. And I was like, look, this has high bandwidth cash. It's not going to run out of memory. This will run 4K forever, even if you have to turn down some settings. It has enough bandwidth. Just get it, guys. And this is all I said. It, it, I said, this is last call for building a PC for two years because this mining boom is going to be insane. Last call, everyone. And, yeah. and yeah, you couldn't really build the PC for a reasonable price until mid 29, until 2019, mid 2019. Yeah, and, and um, that was weird, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm still using that right now. I don't think uh, I'm probably going to upgrade relatively soon, but we'll see. I don't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I might upgrade to RDNA 2 or I don't know. I might wait until RDNA 3 or if NVIDIA make something good maybe i would try them again <laughs> but yeah i think they've gotten kind of enough time out for you haven't they yeah I, I mean i would have gotten one this entire time if i felt like it was the best option sure which i don't think turing's that bad it's just overpriced i think it's one of their first generations in a while that has enough compute and gaming performance yeah and i i just vega 56 still works fine i don't see a point in upgrading i'm going to stick with that until uh, I until I feel like I should upgrade. I mean, I'm probably going to be getting a PS5 this year. I would rather spend the money on that. Right, because you can still play your games. That's what you would say, right? 
Yeah, it's not that I can still play my games. I can still play them, and they look better than a PS4 Pro. (laughs) Yeah, once we got to, yeah, right about, you know, Fury, just above Fury X performance, which would be, you know, uh, Vega 56 that has enough RAM. Once we got there, I think games look good now. Which Vega 56, RTX 2060, once you get to that level of performance, it's like, things look good. I don't know, guys. I mean, when did Battlefield 4 come out? When did Battlefield 3 come out? That's when things, that's when they started really looking good, in my opinion. Like, that was a... It it was an insane jump. And games have been getting slightly better every year in graphics, but it's, like, so slight. Yeah, I'm not saying that there there hasn't been an improvement, but eh, (laughs) it's not as stark as it used to be. And I hope the next gen brings another big jump. That's what seems to happen. But so Dominique Cock writes in and he says, over the last 10 years, what has been more revolutionary while gaming in your opinion, Dan? The graphics, the resolution, frame rates going from 30 to 45 as standard to 45 to 60. Dan first, but then Tom, you answer too. Uh well, gaming graphics, resolution, or frame rate. I mean, I would say uh Upping frame rate standards is the biggest. Uh, Immediately up- noticeable, maybe. Yeah, because 1080p to 4K, it looks nicer. You get extra clarity. It looks better and everything. Especially in the distance, like sniping or something. Yeah. Um, but frame rate really, especially 30 to 60, is a pretty revolutionary thing, especially for faster-paced games. Yeah, and, and it's... You know, even... um. I'm trying to think even like the the frame rates this late late in this gen have just felt so much more stable to me too. Like playing yeah. Death Stranding on PlayStation 4, it's 30 frames but it's such a locked 30 frames with static things in the distance with good motion blur that it's like again this is going back to the PS360 generation. I don't know if people understand how crappy settings they were putting up with Which, for those games. Yeah, well, that's what I'll say is I'm glad and I guess we'll see with, I bet games like uh, Cyberpunk 2077 and uh, like The Last of Us 2, are, I bet those start to per, uh, push the machines to the limit. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. But uh, I remember playing The Last of Us uh, 1 on the PS3 when it first came out, and that game had terrible settings, and I'm really glad that... Its actual graphics were good, but, the, you know, the, uh, almost no anti-aliasing. Almost no anti-aliasing. You got decent frame rate drops on it. And it, it is nice that this gen, I feel like they've avoided that for the most part. Um, that end of gen, I don't know, console, like, last call. <laughs> yeah, they still work. Like, they're they're gasping for breath to run. It doesn't feel like the current gen consoles are gasping for breath. Again, this gen, the PS4 and Xbox One, it's about quality of life. It really is more convenient to game now. Yeah, I, I feel like because they, they're... Ten- once we got to the Xbox One X, because Xbox One isn't a 1080p machine, but everything stronger than that was. And the Xbox One X is really about as strong as a machine you need for 1080p, I think. Uh, and that, Oh, yeah. And that next hurdle to 4K, that, that's... It's a big hurdle. Yeah, it's a big hurdle. Uh, but I think the next-gen consoles are going to hit it out of the park. I'm, I, again, I, I, I really think this it's going to be like... People remember, no one really argued about resolutions in the PS360 gen. There were arguments. Like, I know BF, I think Battlefield 3 was 720p on 360, 704p. They had lines you couldn't notice. 
for PS3, but then it had MSA times four because the cell processor. But no one really argued over those differences back then. I don't think yeah. we're going to argue next gen. That that was a really fun era early early into the PS4, Xbox One gen when uh people were somehow debating which one was strong. Oh, that was and, the dumbest. Um, yeah, I remember the next the, gen. They're much more evenly matched, at least in terms of rendering power. I remember like the order eighteen eighty six. Uh, had a 1080p no had a 1920p 1920 by what oh yeah by nine and i was like oh the P- the ps4 also isn't a 1080p machine yeah, because look at game. this one game um, well you know they had to make sacrifices on this gen for resolution sometimes even with the ps4 oftentimes and because uh, it's a balance you know do you if you want to go up to high settings you really only need 900p so depending on how hard the game is to run what's going on in the background you might make that compromise then in 1080p, if it's linear, okay, then we can afford Ultra. But, you know, I just don't think that's going to happen next gen. I just think I think the settings are going to be pretty much cranked up. And uh, there will be times, like I think, for instance, I think the Xbox will be probably a little better at more linear games. Just, but I, I think the resolution difference is whether it's an open world game or a linear game, no matter which console has an advantage in certain types of games. I just don't think that debate really holds ground anymore. I think they're gonna. Yeah. And, I think that's a thing of the past. And I'm gonna be honest. I, even if these machines are, I mean, they're closer than the PS360. In like these machines on paper are way stronger. Like what? That uh, about what? Five times stronger than the base. Five to eight times. Stronger oh than god! The base yeah, and, and the CPU is so much stronger. It's honestly like it almost. Yeah. It, you almost have to wonder how you count it because it's at least ten times stronger. I'd say. But yeah. It, where it's going to make that jump to 4K, and I doubt people will care that much because I think 1080p is that resolution where once you get there, most people are generally happy. They're oh, they're happy. You can tell the difference after it. And I think I think I have I think there will be dynamic resolutions in next gen consoles. I don't really see them dropping to 1440p though. So it's going to be like you'll probably see 1800p in some games, but yeah, and I don't think anyone's going to care. Exactly. Uh, th- that, no, that's what I was trying to say is I, I feel like there's less of a hunger for a new console because we have 1080p. 1080p looks generally pretty good, uh, especially if you have devs like uh, Naughty Dog making Uncharted 4 and 10. Well, I, I <laughs> making Uncharted 4 and Uncharted 4 looks amazing even on the base PS4 because they're just really good at making a good looking game with what they have. And I think that jump to 4K will look better, but a lot of people won't give that much of a shit. <laughs> right. So Zen Plus, how's your 2700X been? Has it been that much, that noticeable over Broadwell? Uh, I mean, I haven't noticed too big of a difference yet. Uh, I get slightly better frame rates in some games that are CPU intensive, I think. Um, Is multitasking notably better, though? You have a yeah, Gen 3 SSD now. It, Maxed it, out Gen 3 as well. Yeah, it's generally snappier. The SSD, I think, is a lot of what's been driving the how good it's been. It loads way faster. I upgraded from one ter I mean, from two forty gigs to a terabyte, which is nice yeah. of SSD storage. Um, I upgraded now because I thought it was a good time to upgrade. Uh, yeah, one hundred fifty dollars for a sixteen thread. Come on, with eight eight core sixteen thread consoles coming out in the next year, I think I'll want to be at at least that for the foreseeable future uh yeah and you can again you can upgrade to zen 3 so let, all right i think we basically covered all of it i mean is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of you building or upgrading stuff 
Um, I think this is a good base level of all the stuff me and you have done the past 10 years. In addition uh, to I other mean, stuff we've talked about. The other big things I did is, uh, and Tom does this, did this too. I haven't done it for a while, but helping people build machines. Um, oh yeah, we're the we're the we're the person in the friends group that people ask questions to. Which it was funny because one of my college friends asked me to help him build a PC, and he was like, "Well, I think I'll do this, this, and this." Uh, I can't remember all the things he did, but uh, and I recommended other things to him, and. Uh, Three months after building, he ended up getting what I told him to get. <laughs> yeah, that's always that's so common. Is it's just like you slowly whittle them down, and they're like, "Okay, you were right." Yeah, I would say if you are that friend, uh, make sure to set up a healthy balance, a healthy distance, and try to help them become good PC gamers themselves, so they uh, don't constantly text you about stupid problems. Yeah, you got you to put out the ground rules early. You got to know when to just have harsh love and be like, you figure it the fuck out. So yeah. I don't have to help you every five seconds. Like I remember one of my best friends from uh, high school. <laughs> he was like, what frame rate should I be getting in Battlefield 3? And I said, Google it. And that's- yeah, what do you have? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, well, I just was wondering what you... Yeah, and I was like, I don't know. I have a different card than you. I don't know what you should be getting. (laughs) Yeah. So I have two more reader mails that I do want to get through. Nils writes in and he says, so we know that Zen 2 Mobile has a lot less N3 than Intel's Zen 2 AMD's Zen 2 desktop. But I realized that after watching several reviews of the 4900HS that I never saw anything that seemed to have a performance issue because of the lack of cash compared to the other chips. There were a couple I saw, actually, but for the most part, it's not affected, including gaming. I would assume the performance loss uh, from moving from 32 megabytes of L3 cache in Zen 2 desktop to just 8 megabytes in Renoir is there somewhere, but I don't know where to look. And should it have less performance to the lack of cash? Well, the answer is yes, but you have to understand that Zen 2 has so much cash because it's chiplets and it has an IO die. They have like a duplicate of L3 cash. Um, it's, it's an ingenious way to make up for what would be latency problems. So you need less cash on a mobile chip. And honestly, oftentimes with how dense mobile APUs are, they don't need as much cash uh, to save on latency. That's honestly my answer. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't have too much to add to that. That was going to be. Uh, that's what my understanding was. But <laughs> yeah, which it which will be interesting is to see if with Zen three, if they just decide to increase the cash for their mobile chips as well, and how much performance that will bring. But anyways, Avenger the twenty second writes in and he says, buckle up, I just got accepted to applied physics grad school. Based on my own education and love of sci-fi, I'd like to discuss how current 7 nanometer and smaller silicon manufacturing can be used for nanobot creation. Oh boy, I don't know if we're the guys to talk about this, but we'll continue. Assuming something like 3 nanometer EUV nanobots deployed as a nanobot mist in a given volume, oh boy, we're getting... And then the necessary laser optics technology, do you think this could pave the way to floating holograms like in Star Wars? Oh, I see what you're saying. I mean, maybe um, there's wanna... some major weaknesses to that type of technology. Like if you walk in and breathe in, that could kill you. That's like uh, nanoparticles can really do damage to the lungs. I also don't like nanobots floating everywhere. So 
I mean, yeah, Metal Gear Solid 4 really <laughs> scared me. And nah. He says, this idea uses each of the bots as a 3D pixel in space that emits light and receives it and reflects it to the other bots near it to form images. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, theoretically that should work. But like I said, I think you could walk into that, breathe it, and die. I can barely speak on this at all. I don't think that's the future. But. Yeah, I mean, the solution in many ways is just finding a way to project a light that doesn't have to go directly into your eyes and makes a 3D shape in front of you, which is I, really I, complex stuff. I mean, you see in like you see sci-fi, uh, they always like default to some silicon-based technology when like, I, I think an interesting little like tidbit we were watching Westworld. Yeah. Uh, so I believe it's implied that someone was geotagged in their blood by just injecting a protein. They don't use a machine that's just a protein that geotags people, which maybe that's possible. Like I think uh, all these nanobot technologies, like for human biotech, I think in the future those would just maybe be biological innovations. Yeah, yeah that's something I've seen. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think so, too. I think it's going to be synthetic, biotic things that we'll use more so than nano silicon. Although there might be both. But he says, really, what I'm asking and saying is a lot, Dan, is that nanobots can be designed today and manufactured in four years or so, have so many applications for everything like the boldest, most impossible sounding ideas humanity has ever had. Anyways, talk about nanobots. Well, we have a little bit. I don't think we're getting that in four years. I don't. I don't know. think we're getting that in ten years. I mean, we have. They showed that they can like do that AI coordination stuff with like drones. drones to that's do a true. Light show. Yeah. So if I mean, you can scale doing that, that with eight million. I guess it might not be. If you can scale yeah. that, if you can scale that, those up to being a pixel. I mean, to the having a ton of nanobots and scale the processors necessary down i mean i guess it might be possible yeah, and maybe this mist idea would work as long as they're in a cube because again i'm telling you this thing's gonna have some major r&d and performance and longevity problems if they're not self-contained and a lot of people like no, no skype sounds fine oh yeah if you can project <laughs> a skype face with them maybe no i think people just being like the monitor for skype is fine i think <laughs> well, it depends on a cost. If I could actually have you appear in front of me, I'd prefer it. Yeah, I guess that's true. Would you not? You want these bullshit flat 2D people, Dan? Uh, I mean, it's. I, I think it's like uh, like with 2001 A Space Odyssey, they were like, yeah, we're obviously going to be going to uh, Jupiter by uh, 2001. When we were like, no, we just want flatter screens that sounds way better than going to jupiter <laughs> well i'm sure we're gonna want more than flatter screens soon now we have slight curves now <laughs> <laughs> anyways we're getting loopy i'm going to collapse i got no sleep and then i turned out that giant zen 3 and zen 4 video and this today ladies and gentlemen i hope you all enjoyed it um and I and yeah look out for the die shrinks we've got some really fun scripts we put together with reader mails from you guys uh so yeah. Any last words, Dan? No, I think I talked a lot this time. So that's good. You're uh, Tom. Did I cut you off too much? Tom, cut him off. Oh, I'll let your guest speak. I was. I, I think I spoke enough. So I felt there was a real communicative synergy between us. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. 
Stay safe out there, folks. And goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lennon, Jim Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Alkwari, Frederick Lau, Gribbeth, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, The Ninth Grood, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Show, Sadler Sadler, Richter Cohagon, Alethros, Telos, Caden Picknell, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Wani Kierber, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Edward Huff, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Drita Full, Evan, Ding- Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam McArthur, James Crasta, TSPCFS, or to speaking, Michael Costa, Andrew S. B.I. Past, Total Silo. Of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>